electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, the Fed is on the clock just 21 hours until Chair Powell is expected to hike rates half a percent and set the stage for possibly a bigger hike at the next meeting. The ripple effects on the market and the challenges ahead for two big money industries, autos and real estate, plus a major shakeup at Biogen. The CEO stepping down, the company cutting over a billion dollars in costs, and it's all because of their struggling Alzheimer drug. Let's take a look at uh, the next leg for the biotech giant. And later, an after-hours earnings bonanza from Starbucks to AMD to Airbnb and more. We'll go inside the numbers. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee, live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square, on the desk tonight, in the house. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. We start off with a countdown to the Fed decision. It'll hit just 21 hours from now. The central bank widely expected to hike interest rates by 50 basis points. That would be the biggest increase in 22 years. The broad markets appear to be bracing for the news, trading today in a pretty tight range before eking out a second day of gains. But some sectors showing some real strength. Banks, a standout, posting outsized gains on the promise of higher rates. Also, energy and transport's up nicely. So where else will we see potential gains after tomorrow's decision? And I wonder, Guy... Mm. If we played the game tomorrow, if you took a look back. <laughs> Wait a second. Hold on. So start slower. <laughs> Please know, help me. What do you, how do you think the market's going to respond to something that is so widely expected? I think, listen, unless they're – it's hard for me to believe they could be more hawkish than they've been. So by definition, it means anything but that is going to be somewhat dovish. A relief rally. I thought we'd get to 4,000 in the S&P. We got down to 4050 yesterday and bounced. So I, I think you're going to see this market continue to bounce. I will say – I think we're going to stop short about 4250, 4300, then have another sell off. The areas I think you can still be in, I think Tim would agree, energy continues to grind higher. I mean, look at the OIH, which held 250 again, 275 now, and look at the refiners. Valero seemingly makes a new all time high every day. So, regardless of Fed outcome decision rhetoric, I think energy is still the place to be. I think the Fed can absolutely be more hawkish, don't you? I mean, we, in the past, what, 24 well, hours, we had two former Fed vice chairs come out saying that a recession is pretty likely. And no it big just, deal. We'll take one journalist out there to ask Powell, is 75 basis points at the next meeting on, the, on deck? Well, and if the Fed says yes, it's a possibility, that's more hawkish. The Fed is relying on the market actually following through on their expectations of the Fed intentions. They're relying on the market doing what it's doing, and they're relying on the market possibly doing a lot of their work for them. And have we priced in peak Fed? Have we priced in uh, you know, peak inflation? Certainly there have been inflation and hot inflation numbers since their last meeting that would give you uh, the sense that the ammunition of all that we're expecting and all we've heard is what we will get. But again, I look at some of the uh, spot commodity prices. Uh, copper, I think, maybe is starting to price in some peak inflation. Uh, I realize we have sticky labor markets, but um, this is a case where markets really have done a lot of the Fed's work for them. I agree with you. I think they could be far more hawkish than 50 basis points. I mean, first of all, it is possible they do 75. I know that's not the most likely, but that could happen. But I think it's really the rhetoric. I mean, we saw some mixed data last week on inflation and are we maybe at peak inflation? There were some some for both sides. Now, I, I think that if we are even at 
peak inflation. We're still way, way too high, yeah. right? So that still gives the Fed the reason to have to keep hiking. And I think we don't know the balance sheet, how quickly they'll shrink that. We'll want to hear about that. We don't know how many hikes there will be. I think they'll stay the usual data dependent. And, um, but I, I think the hawkish tone will continue. So, so I do think they can be more hawkish, but not with rates. Okay. It's got the dialogue has to. So, so I, I agree with Guy. You're going to see a re- relief rally continue. But then the balance sheet to Karen's what is point, the relief about? I mean, the relief that they only did just 50? got it out of the way. Just it, it's it's everyone's talking about it. Is it 50? Is it 75? So to Karen's point, if it's 75, the market probably takes a, a stutter step backwards. Uh-huh. If or it's maybe 50, not even. maybe think people think, OK, they're done for a little while, be. maybe 25. I don't could know. Be. And if it's 50, I think it rallies a little further. But then I think people move on and start talking about what is going to be the pace of the balance sheet reduction. No one's been talking about that this week. It's well, all that's critical. I, I think we just need to get a sense on where they believe neutral rates are. Yeah. I mean, that, that to me is the moving target. It's dot right. plots. It's this. It's that. Where's the Fed's idea of neutral? Is it two and a half? It actually looks like it's significantly higher than that. And that's part of what we really need to listen to tomorrow. I, I think 50 or so, like, I think 75 would be a shock. And they have to go way past neutral. So that's an important point. We don't know where neutral is and how far past it, because they have to cause a recession. So when people start talking about a soft landing, that's not what the Fed is looking for right now. Soft landing does not stop or slow down the economy right now. A recession slows it down. Now, that might not be a popular thing to talk about, but that's what they have to head for. I mean, to think that they only have to raise rates to two or three, you know, up to three percent or so to get the economy back uh, down from being so hot. I mean, that just seems like a very unrealistic thing. Ken Rogoff of Harvard said five percent, four to five percent is what the Fed would need to see in order to slow things down. Absolutely. Listen, I think I've said it before. I think they're three and a half, four years behind the curve, at least. So that math actually works. And when I say they can't be more, you think about all the ex-Fed governors, all the people they've trotted out over the last couple of weeks, they can't be more hawkish in their tone. Mm-hmm. Richard Fisher today, I mean, I'm paraphrasing again, but basically said, you know what, we're not even looking at the market. The market's a bit of an afterthought. So they're setting everybody up more hawkish than that or more potentially market destructive than that tomorrow. That would surprise Can me. Can I ask you a question? Because you're someone who, who I like to ask. And yeah. you're someone who points out that we, we don't pay attention uh, on the way up to upside volatility or the extraordinary move to the upside is no different than some of the move we're having down. How, how about a case where uh, a Fed that was very focused on asset prices, very much the wealth effect that comes from the stock market and the housing market, would they be just as interested in seeing the stock market get destroyed? Hmm. And, and we've heard as well. I mean, you know, we've kind of heard that, too. So, I mean, do, don't you think uh, because because they recognize the wealth effect and they've targeted the stock market in the past, that they should be just as targeted on the downside. Brian Kelly says that all the time. He's brought that up. I think you make an excellent point. This is a completely different administration than it was a few years ago when the market was a report card for the administration. And when Jerome Powell, again, in my opinion, in October of 2018, when he said we're on autopilot and we're going to reduce the balance sheet, was on the right track and then got browbeat because the market went down 19.9% from Halloween until Christmas Eve the president on his back and they flip course. So this is a completely different administration that is concerned about inflation, rightly so. Absolutely. But if you take if you think about the negative feedback back loop that can happen if the Fed is aggressive, it hits stock prices, right? Corporations start reassessing their their budgets. They start doing layoffs. Mm-hmm. And then that hits the consumer and everybody's saying, oh, the consumer is so, so strong. That's what's going to give us a soft landing. 
But in actuality, maybe we're just waiting for this next shoe to drop in terms of the ripple effect here. That absolutely could be, but just layer on that the possibility that we've pulled forward a lot. So right now you can right. sell every used, every used car, every new car, right? At, At some prices. point, <laughs> the inventory will be such that we've re- not only reached equilibrium, we start to have excess inventory. So that will naturally put a damper on prices. So maybe the Fed gets sort of a little lucky in that that helps them in their endeavor. And there's no more checks going out. There's no there's no more aid going out. There's no more pandemic checks arriving in your I was going to say mailbox. That's archaic Mm -hmm. now in your bank account. So you're not going to have the ability for the consumer to be as strong. But the truth is, they have so much built up over the last couple of whatever that they do have some. So let's play this game. And I will outline a very specific scenario because it sounds like everybody thinks that maybe the Fed could be more hawkish in the comments that it gives after the actual decision is made. And so let's say they do 50 as widely expected, and then they are more hawkish in their comments, in balance sheet runoff comments. What does the market do in response? What do you think? Sells off precipitously. I I don't think that's a potential. Of course, anything is potential. I just don't think that's an outcome. But if that were the outcome, more hawkish than they've been and continue to sort of talk down the market, the market will finally listen. What's interesting here, and I'll ask a question again to the group now. I mean, (laughs) the divergence between Wall Street and Main Street. Um, seems to be about as wide as we've ever seen in this time in favor of Main Street. In other words, Wall Street's been devastated. Um, Main Street apparently is extremely healthy. Is that a good thing for markets right now? I pose it to the group. Who's up? Who's up? Or am I just I think it's, is this, I think it's is this a rhetorical question that no one's I think it's a good thing for the markets, but I don't think they're as, in, in, is as good a position as, a you, think, as you think they are. Yep. And, and I do think that when you start hurting the markets, you hurt potential political donors, and we're uh. moving up to the midterm elections. People speak with their pocketbooks or their wallets when it comes to the politics of the trade. You know, it's interesting. Tim's question thinks it, it would be great to have somebody like a Tony Dwyer answer oh, a question really? like that. If I only, I mean, if only he were here. Whoa! <laughs> It's good to be back. It's, this is the first time since 2020 so you've been in the house. Back. It's great it's to have so you, Tony good. Dwyer to of Canaccord Genuity, of what course. What a lead in this play. We haven't missed a beat. That's awesome. Uh, so what do you think? Do you think the Fed is going to be more hawkish in the tone in the press conference? It's been interesting, Mel, as I was listening to you guys and what the market's saying. If you look at yesterday, the, the bond market rates have gone up significantly. Mm-hmm. But the inflation break-evens have been coming down, and they peaked in March. So that would tell me that the market's actually thinking the more hawkish the Fed is, the more likely it's going to be that they'll, they'll be able to control inflation. But on the neutral rate, I, I think it's really important when we look at history. We are such a levered economy. We added almost $10 trillion of debt to the economy. Every cycle the Fed wants to, remember Jerome Powell in 2018, we're nowhere near neutral. And the next move was a cut. Mm-hmm. And it's the impact that works with a delay. The impact of higher rates on an extremely levered economy. Just look at just look at um, according to Ivy Zellman and Associates, I call her the queen. She's awesome. Not more than 90 percent of mortgages are currently below the um, current mortgage rate, which means if you're going to try and get equity out of your house, you're going to have to pay probably 200 basis points or, or, you know, maybe a little less more to do that. You're not going to do that. So if the Fed's not printing money, if fiscal's not giving it to you, if China's in a rapid slowdown, if Europe's on the embarking on a recession because of the war, 
This, this is about do you have money availability, which we've talked about literally every time I'm on the show. That's dwindling fast. I would argue that the neutral rate is below where anybody thinks it is because it is every cycle. That's why we go into a recession. It shuts down before they can realize it. So does that mean that are you saying that we are going to go into a recession at some point? So our, our playbook for this year is mm-hmm. we're, we're I'm, I'm in guys camp. We're going to get an oversold bounce. You okay. know, sentiment and my tactical indicators are about as bad as they get. Mm-hmm. And it's an oversold bounce. So what's done the worst could bounce. But then it's going to how we go into the end of the year is going to depend on what the Fed does. The only bull case that I think you can come up with at this point is if the Fed in the third quarter sees the economy really coming down. Like, I'll bet the ISM's below 50. You're going to start to see the unemployment rate tick up because there's a great indicator on export orders. That is That leads unemployment. So all of us, and that's been getting, you know, uh, obviously slower. So the point is, if you get really slow economic data in a levered economy at the end of the third quarter, maybe they bring the market expectations down as they go up. Right now, the Fed's in a box. They have been since the end of the year. Their two main indicators are lagging indicators, unemployment and inflation. Everything else is starting to you know, roll over and peak like the ISM. They're in a box. They have to do it, but they could talk later in the year talk rates down. So when you're talking about the levered economy, you're talking about the consumer, businesses. What, what leverage are you talking about? Or the government? or Just overall all- debt. If you look at overall debt, it's about $83 trillion. I looked it up on Bloomberg before I came on. Um, As a percentage of GDP, it's not as high as it was in the great financial crisis, but it's still extraordinarily levered in the amount of debt. So if if you want to try, remember what's very interesting about debt is what does it do? It creates higher asset prices because you spend it. You go out and buy stuff. When you have a zero interest rate policy, you're going to go out and buy stuff. I did. Can I afford that stuff? Nice tie, base? by the way. Well, thank you. Why, thank you, sir. <laughs> you know, can you afford that asset at a 50% increase in price and 200 race basis points more? This isn't a game. It's about do you, what kind of monthly payment do you have? And affordability of everything, especially with inflation, has come down. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been kind of weird. I haven't been like the, the biggest bull on Wall Street for like a year and change. You know, you call for a trade here and there, but you really got to have that money availability improving. And the only thing that changes that narrative now, Mel, is if the Fed talks down the market rates. Tony, always good to see you. Great to see you in person. Oh, it's so Welcome good to back. see you. Thanks. Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity. You agree with Tony, Steve? I do agree with Tony, and that's the most pessimistic I've heard Tony sound in quite some time. And as his point was, he's usually the biggest bull on the street, and I don't see it coming from him now. He's very cautious. So usually when everyone is too cautious, then it means we're going to rip to higher levels. I still think we're going to see 3,800 in the S&P because everyone's focused in on 4,000 in the S&P. That will overshoot to the downside. All right. Let's turn now to an earnings alert on Lyft. Shares are plunging. They're down over 20 percent after the company delivered disappointing guidance. Deidre Bosa's got the, uh, the story. Debo. So, Melissa, it is all about that disappointing guidance. And two words here, driver incentives. This is one of the most painful earnings calls that I have ever listened to, actually. Analyst after analyst keeps asking the company to quantify how much they're going to have to spend on those driver incentives in the quarter and the year ahead. Lyft's management team keeps avoiding. And meanwhile, shares are down by more than a quarter. It's market cap just getting completely demolished in the after hours. 
To that guidance, the street was expecting adjusted EBITDA profit of nearly $84 million. The company says that it's going to make between $10 and $20 million in the current quarter. So that is a big step down. And like I said, it's driver incentives that are weighing um, revenue as well. Remember that this was supposed to be the recovery year for ride sharing, but revenue coming in a little bit lighter than the street expected. $1 billion on the high end, $950 million on the lower end. So all in all, Melissa, remember this is a company that IPO'd in the $70, I think $76 that is now trading $22.65, really in a world of pain right now. And all of that has to do with that guidance. Back to you, Mel. All right, Debo, thank you. We should mention Uber shares are down almost 12% on the back of this news as well. I mean, driver incentives, that's never a good thing. Tim, uh, it's this has been the story around both Uber yeah. and Lyft for, for the last two years. And it's certainly been a case where um, there was significant supply shortages of drivers. And there was a real crimp uh, on that as we are coming through COVID. And, and the, this is supposed to be the sweet time. And, and really, if you listen to what they told us one quarter ago, um, they were starting to see some alleviation of these price pressures because they were starting to see more drivers coming back. So, again, these costs on the employment side are significant for these guys. The, look, they're very important reads on the reopening. Uh, and that part of their business, though, uh, is is alive and well. These are the levels we last saw at around Halloween 2020. Prior to that, obviously, March 2020, everything cratered. But this 22 level is interesting. But the, it's a disaster. And you, you sort of you look at this this time last year, you're talking about a stock that seemingly had figured it out, $60 handle, pr- pathway to profitability, and now it flips on a dime. I'll say this, typically, tr- typically trades about, I don't know, 10 million shares or so a day, six, seven, eight, nine million shares. Tomorrow it'll trade north of 65. If it holds 22, that might be a capitulatory bottom. And more broadly speaking, I mean, this, this really shows you that demand can be back. Consumers want to get out there, but your costs are going up and in every way, particularly in wages, Karen. Yeah, I mean, right, you try to think through where else are we going to see this? Obviously, right. Uber, you would see it almost exactly, precisely here. But this is going to be one tomorrow we talk about the three-day rule more often than we used to, it seems. <laughs> this is one, I mean, that's going to be a tough three days coming up. When Guy talks about the level of support that it's out right now, going back to September 2020, if you go back to the pandemic low, you're looking at $16 for the stock. Wow. This wow. is we're, we're right there with all these charts are always approaching that pandemic low or where it started pre pandemic in February. This is a pretty aggressive level to be thinking about. It's back to the pandemic low for Lyft. Mm. They do have cash, though. Right. Which means that they really shouldn't be at that low. <laughs> well, yeah, they have. You're right. There's no right. They have plenty of time to fix this. But right. it's a problem. Coming up, more earnings coming your way. Shares of AMD and Starbucks on the move after reporting. We'll bring you all the details next. Plus, Elon Musk planning to take Twitter private. But it might not stay that way for very long. What he is thinking and why. More Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Starbucks. Shares are higher by almost 5% after bidding on revenues. We just got some new details off the earnings call that sent shares popping. Kate Rogers got the details. Kate. Melissa, the big news out of Starbucks this evening is a $1 billion commitment for the full year 2022 on pay, training, and stores, including $200 million just announced tonight worth of investment. Now, in addition to previously announced wage hikes to a $15 an hour wage floor this summer, the company is adding further increases for those hired on or before May 1st for tenured partners, store managers, and shift managers. By August 1st, the company says average pay will be nearly $17 an hour. It's also doubling the amount of training for shift supervisors and baristas, new and already in those roles. These have been key sticking points for those seeking to organize. But here's here's a, a important detail here. The company says, according to law, these investments can't be unilaterally made at unionized stores without good faith bargaining. So these seemingly won't automatically go into effect at those 50 plus locations that have organized. Howard Schultz suspended, remember, the company's buyback program on his first day back as interim CEO. So many were wondering where this money would be allocated. Now, as for the earnings report, EPS came in right in line with estimates. Revenues, a slight beat. Same store sales, a mixed bag here, globally up 7%. That's in line in the America's up 12%, also a beat. International fell by 8%, worse than expected. And in China, same-store sales fell 23% due to ongoing COVID restrictions. The company says full year 2022 targets will be discussed further on this call, so we'll bring you any other news as we get it. Back over to you. Uh, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers. Tim Seymour, should the stock be up 5% after hours? Well, on some level, there's a relief. We, we knew that they were, and they'd already guided where you know sales were going to do one thing and net profits were going to do another thing last quarter. They sit down 4 to 6%. This is um, this number on a billion. Who would have thought that a little sleepy town of, of Elmwood, Buffalo, was going to actually lead to this whole concern about unions? At the time of that union vote, no one thought this was going to have an impact. Meanwhile, uh, Howard Schultz trying to almost push back uh, and even try to prevent by offering enough sweeteners here. If you look at the total business, uh, the global same-store sales up 7%, pretty good. U.S., fantastic. International, we knew that. So a lot of bad news priced into Starbucks. This is something that I think when you look on the margins, this is a company that uh, it, look, labor costs aren't going to get better for them, but they're in this price. I mean, it's a $1 billion investment, but these costs are going to be ongoing in terms of every year after this, they're still going to be spending on on extra training and all of that. I just come back to again and again. Starbucks is a great company. It's had a premium multiple for a really long time. It no longer does. It is a little bit of a premium, mm-hmm. 22 maybe-ish. And I don't know. I'm just not that excited about it to want to pay a premium multiple here in this market. Why? I mean, you don't think that the growth is there? I don't think that the growth is that I think the China growth is questionable for a long time. That has been a driver here because we thought that North America was sort of tapped out. We've seen some positive from the digital evolution there. But uh, the China thing sort of really weighs on the story, I think. But it's zero COVID. I mean, how long can we have zero COVID policy? Even before it was zero COVID, though. I feel like China was well, slow. China and you can also, have zero yeah, I know they can. Forever. Forever. But forever. And you don't know what the next lever they're going to pull will be. And China has been the tailwind for a lot of the growth arm of, of Starbucks. But Schultz coming back should have been the bullish story. And the stock wasn't able to hold that pop when he once came back, when he came back. So that to me is a negative for it. I think it's just a sign of things to come. He came back bearish, though. Right. He came back and out of the gate. He was right. like, no, no buyback. more buybacks. Yeah. And we got to spend more money on our stores. Right. 
All right. Guidance again coming up on the conference call. Meantime, let's get to AMD. Shares are surging after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom line. Sales up 71 percent in Q1 despite concerns of a slowdown in PC demand. AMD's earnings call just got underway minutes ago. Let's get to Christina Parsnevelis for the details. Christina. (laughs) What slowdown in personal computer sales? What inflation? AMD's earnings just blew it out of the park with revenue hitting over $5 billion for the first time ever. The company keeps growing with every one of its individual lines of business growing by double digits during the quarter. The company but he did increase its full year guidance, which is why you're seeing the share price climb over 7% in after hours. Many were worried about the PC slowdown, especially since just last week Intel guided lower for June, but AMD isn't feeling the heat just yet. The CEO just said on a call, the call that's going on right now, the focus will be on gaming when it comes to PC sales. Another bright spot, AMD's high-end server chip business showed some market share gains over Intel. The earnings beat comes after AMD, AMD's stock got hit this year, falling over 37% this year alone, worse than the SOX ETF performance, that's a semiconductor ETF, and the S&P 500. Investors, though, have been offloading chip stocks in the face of inflationary risk and, of course, in cyclical fears, too. But keep in mind, AMD closed its acquisition of Xilinx in February, so it's the first quarter to reflect Xilinx's numbers. If you take Xilinx out of the equation, you remove the sales, revenues would only have increased 55% year over year, so still over $5 billion. Lisa Sue, AMD's CEO, will be on CNBC tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And Melissa, I just have one other quick mover right now. This is a semiconductor stock, Skyworks. They just posted earnings, and their guidance was pretty low due to supply chain concerns. So shares right now falling over 3%. Back over to you. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsnevelis. And we talk about a sigh of relief. You're we talking about that regarding Starbucks, AMD. This was a big one. Yeah, I mean, listen, they beat on EPS by about 15%, 10% beat on revenue. But the number that sticks out to me, operating margins came in at 31.2%, up from 22% last year. And the street was looking for 26%. That's a remarkable number. You can actually make a case for AMD on valuation at these levels. I don't think it ever should have gotten to 165. It doesn't matter. It got there in November. I don't think it should have gotten to 85 either. I think the right price for this stock is about 125, which oddly enough is about a 50% retracement of that move that I just outlined. Well, for a company that, first of all, made an acquisition that I think made a lot of sense, and for a company that, that is in the last couple of years has seen its multiple triple, okay, what is the multiple you put on the stock? At, at 35 times, this is a $180 stock. Um, currently, it, you're somewhere around 22, 23. I think that the slowing PC sales was well in the price. Um, the question is, is a, is a, an, I wouldn't say an, let's call it an improved Intel. Is that something that also has been weighing on the competitive force uh, in, in GPU and to what extent that has weighed on AMD? Um, PC sales now around 40%. Diversification for this company, very important and it gets better. Their enterprise business is excellent. Yeah. So uh, it wouldn't, we're all together. So you know what's going to happen we right are? now, right? No, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What, what's so going to what happen? Does that mean? So, so what does that a mean? name like that guy likes to talk about Texan. When, okay. when you look at it in the space, first of all, I think that a drought in chips is going to, going to result in a flood of chips. So I think ultimately glut. lower prices and a glut. Mm-hmm. Declining trend line since November of 2021. Qualcomm in phones, their biggest revenue stream, trying to get into the Internet of Things. Qualcomm on, has outperformed on a relative basis. I put money there, not Nvidia. Oh, so you're doing a self would you rather? I'm doing a self would you rather, but I'll kick it out since Tim asked about five Tim. questions in the A block. Just one, one what, symbol. What is going on one here? One symbol. I'm taking over. One symbol. Do with me. Which one do you like in the chip space? Huh? Oh, Which one? Say Lays. The Lays. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, where are you? I, it's ruffles all day long. Ridged. Much as me. 
That went perfectly. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Powell's predicament. The Fed under pressure to keep prices under control. But with home prices showing no signs of letting up and supply chains still tangled, is he fighting a losing battle? Plus, C-suite shakeup. One biotech CEO stepping down as drug challenges continue. The impact on the stock and the space. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Fed is set to raise rates as it tries to break the back of inflation. But there are some real structural issues that could complicate the landscape for the central bank. Mortgage rates are at their highest level in 13 years, and supply chain snacks are pushing auto prices to near all-time highs. Appliances prices up double digits this year. So is the Fed in just an impossible position? Let's bring in the Texas chief economist of the Americas and former National Economic Council chief economist Joe Lavornia. Joe, great to get your take on this. I mean, you know, a lot of people say that the markets are doing a lot of the work of the Fed, but housing prices will probably stay elevated because of just low inventory, pent-up demand for housing, et cetera. Um, so does this mean that the Fed could actually be forced to put on the brakes harder than we think? That's what investors right now, Melissa, are saying. If the market has 300 basis points of tightening priced in from March of 22 to 23. That makes it like the 94 cycle. And then you've got perhaps upwards of 900 billion of balance sheet unwind. That's probably worth another maybe 50, 75 basis points. This is a lot of hiking. And by the way, the economy is rapidly slowing, whereas the 94, which is the analog many are using, the economy was accelerating. We grew over 4% uh, that, that year. I'm worried about recession. So my sense is the Fed will hike tomorrow 50. They probably go 50 in June, and that might be it, uh, mainly because the economy is weak, not so much because inflation will come down a whole lot. It will come down, but I think the growth story will eventually win out. Joe, it's Tim. Welcome to the show. Uh, talk to us about labor inflation and the stickiness of that and, and where you know, maybe goods and commodities have seen their peak, um, but labor feels like a tailwind. Yeah, labor. So the labor market appears very tight by the unemployment rate, only three six. However, Tim, the uh, labor force participation rate is still below its previous peak. Employment to population, same thing there. Uh, if the trend in Trump jobs had continued, uh, we're about six point two, six point three million below where we should be. I look at the labor market now as being more broken than tight. Having said that, you are getting good nominal wage growth, but after inflation adjustment, it's negative. My best guess is that. 
the food surge, which will continue because we're not getting fertilizer globally, you're seeing corn prices and wheat prices surge, that will persist through the spring and into the summer. Same thing with gasoline as we enter the driving season. Those two sectors together account for 22% of household uh, purchasing, and therefore these prices will suck liquidity out of the system. It will depress spending. So even though the wage market or job market may look good for now, uh, in real terms, we really got some significant dampening. I don't see that changing anytime soon. So Joe Tony was on before. He was talking about slowing growth, which I agree with. And you mentioned peak inflation. But what if it is peak, but it's also both persistent and pesky? Then you're talking about this stagflationary environment that people last summer started talking about. And you're hearing a lot more courses now. What happens under, those, under that scenario? Yeah, I mean, Guy, the thing is, I'm watching now the credit markets. We've seen things like the single B and triple C. Uh, corporate credit. We're seeing those spreads start to widen. They're not as wide as they were earlier in the year, but they are starting to widen. If we get that stagflationary environment with rates moving up, that hurts credit more. It will hurt equities. And I would argue that uh, that's just probably very negative for stocks, that we could be down 25, 30 percent in equities. And the history is very clear that when markets, asset markets decline, that actually ultimately is deflationary. So I so I don't hope we I hope we don't have a stagflationary situation. But if we do, that's really bad for financial assets. Joe, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Joe everyone. Warren, yeah. um, Karen, I know you watch HYG. So speaking of credit, I mean, I HYG do. hit levels not seen for more than two years this week. Right. Well, there's two parts. There's the rate part and the credit yeah. part. Right. So, I mean, as Joe said, credit is something, you know, really to watch. We haven't really seen any kind of credit disruption, really. But that is the thing that really shakes a market where, where the VIX could just go berserk. So I am sure the LQD, which is the, the higher uh, in the structure debt and HYG, as it's a good market hedge. Mm-hmm. I just think the Fed is so for guys said it before. They were so far behind now and now they're putting their foot on the pedal so aggressively that you can't help but hurt the economy. And that's what they're trying to do. So we've heard from from uh, Tony. We've heard from Joe. And when you really start to look at this, people are starting to get really cautious, really fearful about this. And Joe's thrown out numbers here being down 20, 25 percent. That's nothing to, uh, to to sneeze at there. So. I would say that the Fed is so far behind right now, they're going to have a mistake here and they're not going to be able to get their footing back on target again, which means recession, slowing economy Mm -hmm. and everyone looking down the wrong side of the tracks and the train hits you in the back of the head. I mean, he's probably the most bearish on the desk, Steve Gross, though, right? I mean, that sounded that sounded bearish. I I tell you what, I I, I look at the housing market and I look at the price appreciation we've had over the last two years. And and I see a bubble that may not have the same underpinnings from the financial crisis. But there's no question that there's speculation in the housing market. There's no question that there's speculation in commercial real estate. And and this is the kind of stuff that in credit, um, I still don't think we've even seen the impact. But again, you can have this kind of a of a move in 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 rates with levered entities that are playing in these markets without there being some problems. We've said it on this desk now for three months. We're waiting for uh, the bodies to float to the surface because you can't uh, avoid this. There will be whales coming up. Let's say, though, specifically for the housing market, at what mortgage rate will you slow down that market when there is already pent up demand and low inventory issues? I mean, there are other issues besides just 
you know, what's going on in the broader economy There's, that are specific to this industry. And so, I mean, is 6% the magic number where you slow that market down? We've in already which seen case, mortgage apps. Mortgage apps and refis have come down dramatically. dramatically. You look at the pending home sales numbers we just got last week. Those were terrible numbers. So uh, enough, there's no though? question. This- I mean, that's what you got to wonder, right? I mean, is this going to be enough? Yeah, the other side of that equation is affordability, which is the levels we have. Yeah. I mean, it's the wrong end of the spectrum in affordability as well. So I'm with Tim. I think we're actually there right before your very eyes. It just takes time to filter through the system. Coming up, a big shuffle for biotech. What a change in the C-suite means for Biogen. Plus, we're fueling up for an energy trade. NatGas surging to its highest level since 2008. And that had the options pits gushing. The details Mm. when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take another look at shares of Lyft plunging more than 25% after issuing disappointing guidance and announcing driver incentives. Uber, which reports tomorrow, also down in sympathy, uh, down about 10%. And sticking with earnings, we've got a news alert off of the Starbucks call. Let's get straight to Kate Rogers. Kate. Hey again, Melissa. Starbucks just announced it's going to be suspending its guidance for Q3 and Q4 on the call. Howard Schultz saying, given the materiality and high level of ongoing uncertainty around China, accelerating inflation and the significant investments we're planning, the only responsible course of action for us to take is to suspend guidance for Q3 and Q4. As we move through Q3 and approach September's Investor Day, we will have much greater visibility on Q4, holiday and fiscal 2023, and be in a position to share details around our comprehensive post-COVID China plan with you. So once again, uh, suspending basically guidance for the back half of the year. As you can see, the stock is still much higher in the after hours here. I think on that news that they're making these significant investments in both partners and stores. Back over to you. Thank you very much, Kate Rogers. And the stock in response to that is up 5%. Tim, what do you make of that? I, we, we've known about China. Again, China was down 23%. guidance? Well, uh, You're not going to hear anything back? Again, we just started last week. <laughs> we were talking about how long can you have zero COVID? Yes, they're China. They can be zero COVID forever. Um, but I believe in a world where we're making progress here. And I, I, I just think, uh, why try to you know, throw darts here. Um, I think the more important parts of the numbers are the labor costs. But how about loyalty? Something that we didn't talk about yet. That was up 17 percent. There's now 26 million people uh, on an app. And I think that's part of the, the Starbucks multiple. When I heard suspends Q3 and Q4 guidance, I thought, oh, the stock must be down. And it's not. So what did you make of it? Well, I actually think companies should never give guidance. So I get why he wants to do it. Good for him. Just take the, you know, take the hit. And it actually wasn't even a hit. So that's good. I just feel like it makes companies short-sighted, makes them worry about things that are, you know, happening in three months. He's got a much longer vision than that. So I think it's good. I think every company should do it. All right. Meantime, a big shakeup in biotech. Biogen announcing its CEO is stepping down as the company struggles to navigate the future of its new Alzheimer's drug. Let's get to Meg Terrell with all the details. Meg. Hey, Mal. Well, Michelle Vunatsis, the CEO of Biogen since January of 2017, uh, is going to stay on as Biogen conducts this search for his successor. They essentially said they're beginning the search or they announced they were beginning it today. Uh, So he'll continue to be CEO and a member of the board as they do that and help with the transition. Uh, But essentially, this is being looked at as a reset period for Biogen after 
as you said, it's really struggled with this roller coaster for its Alzheimer's drug, Aduhelm. That got that surprise approval in the middle of last year. Uh, the FDA clearing it even after its advisors really were pretty against the drug, saying there weren't clear data showing that it really worked. And then Medicare uh, this year gave a very narrow coverage opinion on this, saying essentially they'd only pay for the drug for people who are in specific clinical trials. That essentially doomed the drug essentially to failure. Uh, and the company saying today it's writing off 270 $75 million in Aduhelm inventory, basically eliminating its commercial infrastructure for the drug. But Mel, what's interesting is the rest of the business is basically shrinking and Biogen is still really betting in Alzheimer's. It has another drug that has a big clinical trial rate out at the end of this year. So a lot of questions about what is the profile of the CEO going to look like? Are they going to change the company, do a lot of M&A? Are they going to package it up to potentially try to sell the company? All of these outstanding questions. And then, of course, what does this drug do uh, at the end of the year in this clinical trial? Mel? Um, is Aduhelm basically, a, I, don't, I don't want to say a zombie drug, but I mean, they're, they're substantially eliminating some of the sales infrastructure that it had planned originally um, when it looked like the drug was going to be a blockbuster. So it looks like there's a lot less support for this drug. Are they just sort of writing it off at this point? Essentially, I mean, the drug is still available, but you can only get it if you enroll in one of these clinical trials. Uh, and so they basically said, well, we've built up this big infrastructure to sell Alzheimer's drugs, but we can't really sell it. And we have this other one that potentially could come along, you know, a year from now, but it doesn't make sense to keep this big infrastructure as we wait for that one. They are not keeping it in any means for Aduhelm itself. All right. Uh, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. $30 billion market cap company guy, yeah. what happens? No, and, you know, listen, it's interesting. I think it's slightly higher now in the after. Not that that matters, but you think about this was a $450 stock when I think it was last summer when the good news came out. That didn't last particularly long. Not that Biogen, not that Biogen is a one-trick pony by any stretch, but so much of this was predicated on getting this Alzheimer's across the finish line. Clearly not happening. I don't know if you've capitulated yet, unfortunately. There might still be another 15 20% downside to this name before it finds a bottom. Yeah, you have to protect that 192 low, the recent low, where, where you look at the stock. Um, I think all bets are off. First of all, when you look at biotech, it's been totally obliterated. And, and there's a handful of names that have done well. But unless you were COVID-related for the last couple of years, you didn't get any of that bid. And we've seen all of that bid in the COVID-related stocks just leave. Moderna is down 42% year to date. So this is a group that I think will eventually rally. I think we're close to the bottom. But to Guy's point, it could be 10 or so uh, dollars away in, in Biogen. Let's move on here. Check out Nat Gas prices surging to their highest level since 2008 as a Russia-Ukraine conflict continues to disrupt global energy markets. One options trader is making a $1.3 million bet that the gains are far from over. Mike Coe is in the house. Stop it, Coco. Bring the action. Coco, beware. Back, back at last, yes, uh, Antero, AR, uh, Antero Resources. This is the E&P company that's based in Denver, Colorado, $11 billion business. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but it was trading a lot of options today, more than seven times the average daily call volume. One of the big trades we saw was a purchase of 3,300 of the November 40-55 call spreads. The buyer paid $3.90 for those spreads. Those are really expensive options because E&P companies tend to be extremely uh, volatile. Those 40 strike calls over you know, about seven bucks. So this is obviously somebody who has uh, a lot of upside in their sights uh, looking through to November.
Yeah. Tim, you also see a lot of upside in general in this space. I do. And, and first of all, as I look at the S&P weighting in energy at 4%, when historic is, is about 8 and we were at 16 in 2008, the last time oil prices were here, I, I think we probably have to spend, there's been some numbers banded about, in fact, Ken Griffin and Citadel was out there yesterday saying we have to spend a trillion three in the next 10 years. We are so underfunded in terms of energy. I just think it gets back to companies that are actually run so much better. And, and so this is, again, it, it's not... It's not just a trade. It's actually an investment, whereas it was not before. You know, when you look at Europe and everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine, you start to see the underlying bid. But then when you look at the flip side of that and you look at China's zero covid policy for crude, I think we're going lower for nat gas. I think we're going higher because Europe is so dependent on nat gas singularly, I got to take my time with that. It's a lot of syllables. Well done. Singularly yeah. for. Not a great haiku. Not a haiku. Or, this is, this is yeah. as long as I can. Although uh, I could probably pen a haiku in well, the commercial break master. using singularly. All right, we'll put you to the test. Mike, it's great to see you in person. Welcome back to the house. For Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we are digging into the earnings headlines of some Airbnb shares rising after hours, plus what Elon Musk plans to do with Twitter after he takes it private. More Fast Money in two. We've got an earnings alert on Airbnb. Shares are jumping 4% after reporting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Let's get to Debo with the details. Deidre. So, Mel, Brian Chesky, the CEO, laid it out pretty clearly at the start. He told analysts that, quote, despite the pandemic, the war in Ukraine, macroeconomic headwinds, Q1 was another incredible quarter. The metrics certainly backed that up. Nights and experiences topped $100 million for the first time. That exceeds pre-pandemic levels. Free cash flow was more than a billion dollars. And the company did record a net loss in the current quarter, but they do expect to be profitable on a net income basis this year. Now, Chesky also talked about the way that people are increasingly using search on Airbnb, which is helping the company better match supply and demand. One of the analyst questions on the call just now uh, was around a higher marketing and advertising spend in the past quarter. And that's really something that the company has prided itself on scaling back over the last few years. Chess, he talked about this different approach than their peers, one that he says is direct or unpaid that speaks um, to the consumer and kind of shifts away from traditional ad campaigns. He says that has made Airbnb a verb and a household name. And Mel, partly that's the reason that this company continues to command a higher valuation than its OTA peers. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa, Guy, this was the A. Yes. In, in which trade was it? It's both the Dawn, Dawn trade and uh-huh. it's also Dan Nathan's ARP trade. Is that correct? Did I it's, use that properly? It was named after you. The ARP See, that trade. hurts. I know you don't no, think. No, I'm, I'm stating fact. I'm not saying, I'm not doing this out of. It, yes, because I am at Truth that hurts, age. man. No, it's, listen, it does hurt. But that's better than the alternative, as it turns out. I like it. Listen, people will knock it on valuation. I get it. Trades it 10 times revenues. I get it. But to Deirdre's point, they're the only game in town, and they've managed to diversify themselves in a meaningful way. And they were very close to profitability here. Three-cent loss. The street was looking for 25 cents. This stock should go higher even from levels we're currently trading They're at. They're expecting the same kind of growth that they saw in the first quarter in the second quarter. Uh, look, I, I actually think that this is a... a- been a very defensive stock. If you look at the, uh, the the mega cap tech world that it exists in, whether you, whatever you believe it is, um, whether it's 15 times sales or 10 times, um, stocks down 20% from the all-time high. That's great. All right. We've uh, got an alert, an update on Elon Musk's Twitter deal. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Musk is telling potential backers he could take Twitter public again. 
within a few years. The Tesla CEO is looking for investors to take on some of the $21 billion he's planning to put in for the deal. Surprising, Karen, or no? No, I mean, he wants to get other equity in there so he doesn't have to margin up any more of his Tesla stock. So that makes sense. One of the ways to do that is to let them know, hey, eventually there'll be an out. There'll be a liquidity event. So you could get your money back. He wants current investors to roll in. Uh, I think, you know, there there could be some big holders, including Dorsey, who wants to do that. It's good for everyone if he can get some of that equity laid off to someone else. Yeah. And, and this is usually the the M.O., right? You take something private do some efficiency uh, underneath the radar where no one has any clue of what you're doing. And then you spin it back public and hopefully for a premium for everybody. So not shocking, but I think the spread, as Karen has said for, for uh, mm-hmm. a while now, between the price and where it's trading now says that there's a lot that could be some bumpy road ahead before the deal actually closes. You think it gets done? I do. I, I do think I don't know how it's going to get done, but I do think it gets done. But the stock to continue to watch. I mean, you saw that precipitous sell off in Tesla. It bounced. But You know, still off a ridiculously strong quarter. The stock hasn't gotten back to those levels. I think Tesla's a name to watch on the downside. Hmm. Up next, final trades. Final look at all of today's earnings movers. Lyft is really the standout. It is getting decimated after hours, down 27%. A Starbucks is up despite suspending guidance for the third and the fourth quarters. It's up 5%. AMD shares are up 7%. Airbnb asserting 5 And Caesars also higher by almost 3% here at this time. Time for the final trade now. Around the horn we go, Tim. Yeah, and all those names, a lot of bad stuff priced in. Where there's not a lot of good stuff priced in, I think you know, a company like Diamondback, ticker FANG, where if you look at the energy space, this was a company that was so poorly run, so inefficient back in the day. Things are very different now. Karen? Yeah, I'm going to stay with the energy space also. OIH, I think oil doesn't need to go up, flattish, down a little up. Any of those work for the OIH. Steven. I'm going to go biotech, IBB. I think we're very, very close to a dramatic bounce in the in the ETF. Guy. The road to Lord Stanley yes, Cup begins a few blocks away from here I in a few hours, wait. Melissa Lee. I'm just saying, can't and I know wait. you're locked in as am I. 7 o'clock. I'm Newmont here. Mining has sold off enough from the recent all-time high to take another look. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.